This is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Honey Badger. When you need your code to be reliable, Honey Badger helps with uptime monitoring and contextualized error messages to save you time and money. Get started on Honey Badger today and get a 30% discount by mentioning ChaosCast when you sign up at honeybadger.io. Today, we have Silona Bonewaltz as a guest with us. On the panel, is Armstrong. Hi, and welcome everyone. My name is Fongjan Armstrong, a PhD candidate at Ecole Polytechnique Montreal. I'm focused on a software ecosystem and uh, releases. Thank you. Myself, Georg Link. Hi everyone, Georg here. I'm a co-founder of the Chaos Project, maintainer of several working groups. I work at Biturgia as the director of sales and it is my mission to help open source communities and companies become more professional in how they use software and metrics for open source community health. And today I'm super excited that we have Silona Bonewald with us. Silona, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your background? Hi, my name is Silona Bonewald and I'm the executive director of IEEE SA Open which is a new platform that we are launching to help support open source, open data, open standards, open hardware, all things open. My background, I guess, so I've been using open source software for a long time since like the mid nineties with Linux and such, but I didn't really become super involved in the open source community until 2004. And since then I've helped several businesses transition from proprietary to open source. I've worked with Jorg at the Intersource Commons, where I was the one of the first, I guess, Intersource directors at PayPal. And then um, most recently was also VP of Community at Hyperledger, which is a Linux foundation project for blockchain. That's where I met you the first time. It was the Open Source Leadership Summit last year. And then the next time I saw you was when you were already with IEEE, when we met at the, the scale. In California. Oh, yeah, scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you had just started there. That's the last um, conference I've gotten to attend that isn't virtual. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically my first and last conference at the new job. Yes, yes. Scale was, I think, one of the last conferences that happened all before lockdown occurred for COVID-19. Yes. So one of the conversations we had at Scale was about just your experience with building communities inside companies, outside of companies in the open. And you had uh, mentioned that you're thinking in terms of, what, what do you call them? The so, patterns. Oh, yes. The patterns. Yes. Big believer in design patterns. You know, the whole gang of four aspect. And one of the things that I wanted to capture for creating these new communities are those kind of best practices and maybe even a standard in regards to what we're looking for so that we can actually start to measure things, which is something that's near and dear to my heart. And so, yes, one of the things we are looking at is all of those patterns that happen in regards to communities. And can we capture that? 
And if we capture that, how can we raise the maturity level of open source? Because and I'm talking more about the capacity model in regards to maturity levels. I'll give you the link to where it is in Wikipedia. But the big thing is, is that I think most open source, because we don't measure it well, other than the code itself, we don't get really good understandings about the community. And so we end up focusing a little bit too much on lines of code. And I would like to change that. That's the only way that you get to the fourth and fifth levels of a maturity model is through measurement. And I know that being at Viturgia, that is also near and dear to your heart as well. Oh, certainly. Yes. That's uh, exactly what we do for our customers. And the whole idea of let's measure more than the source code or the activity in our repositories and issue trackers is something, especially at the Chaos Project, we started to have a metric about the types of contributions because we wanted to recognize that, hey, if you are starting to measure your open source community, there is more than just your Git log. You have people who are doing a variety of things. We have people who organize events, who do bug triaging. They do community management on the mailing list, in Slack, in wherever the community is. Silona, how do you think about measuring all of these different parts of the community? One of the things I've been stressing a lot at the new job that I have is role diversity. And one of the things that, you know, it takes a village, right? So, and when you're sitting there talking about there's, there's a lot of roles that are there. And when I was doing Intersource at PayPal, you know, corporations don't pay for everyone to do this for fun, right? <laughs> they do it, they pay for it for a reason. And so I was kind of looking at it going, oh, I know kind of the metrics that corporate uses, but to be quite honest, they're pretty imperfect as well. And so I was sitting there thinking, how do I actually get there? And that's when I came up with some of these patterns where I noticed that, you know, most open source groups have something like a TSC, which is a technical steering committee, but they don't really have, you know, one of the things that Hyperledger did that was a bit different is having a marketing steering committee. And then I'm like, why don't we have a community steering committee just in general? I think, I know it sounds really rather meta, but you're not going to get that inclusive feeling unless you have people who own it and are kind of in charge of it and leading it throughout the organization. So I was like, okay, let's create these three different groups. You know, let's create a community group, let's create a marketing group, and let's create a technology group. And then let's talk about the roles as they can exist in each of those groups. And I did roughly math those to a lot of the corporate roles that already exist. So for example, in the technical one, in open source, we have a real focus on developers we don't talk much about product managers. And that's where I got serious velocity. Oh my God, at PayPal. By going in and getting all of that, all those middle managers, all of those product managers across business units collaborating, we went so fast to the point that some people thought I was lying. It was just like, it was, it was an exponential. What was it that really got them hooked? Was it just that finally they got the recognition? that before was only given to developers or? Well, so it was an interesting thing. One, we had good buy-in from the CEO and he talked a lot about one team. And so basically by going through and collaborating on these things together, they were able to report back on a metric. 
which was their one team metric, which basically said, oh no, we collaborated across business units to do these things and we saved this much time and money by doing so. And so that was very inspirational for them. And to be quite honest, I don't know how much research any of y'all have done with this, but product managers are probably some of the, it's one of the hardest jobs out there. They have like the lowest job satisfaction rating. It's something like 5%. It's horrible because they're stuck in the middle because leadership says do this. They, They have their staff that needs to do that. They're constantly in conflict. And way too often they end up being basically accountants, right? Where they're just sitting there saying, this is done, that is done, this is done, that is done. And who, very few of us want to do that as our job. And so when I explained, oh, what you should be doing is research, finding out who else is doing interesting things in the company, figuring out how to collaborate with them, you know, negotiating with them. I I taught a couple of negotiation classes for them and facilitation and things of that nature. And it lit them up. Like they were just so much happier after that because now they felt empowered. They felt that their jobs had more meaning where they could take care of their employees, you know, because previously in middle management, you know, you're in charge of these people, but at the same time, you've got the responsibility without the power. And by going in and doing this, they were able to take back more power. And I think that increased everyone's attitude greatly. So people were a lot happier. That was one of the things that was, I don't know, one of the happiest parts, one of my best compliments I got at PayPal was when one of the other large-scale systems architects came up and he's like, Salona, I love coming to your meetings. I don't have to know what room they're in. I just follow the laughter. And that (laughs) to me was like the biggest compliment I've ever gotten was, oh, you know, because when when we first came in, everybody was unhappy. There was a lot of competitive nature. There was, you know, all of those kinds of things happening. But then by making it much more cooperative and, you know, focusing on that whole aspect of one team, it completely changed the work environment for a lot of these people. And you said that the, they were able to report on this in terms of, hey, we collaborate on this, we saved this much time. Can you share how those metrics were collected? So one of the biggest things that we did is we just started open planning. And honestly, we did a lot of it in Confluence at the beginning. Some of it was in Rally, but Rally was kind of awkward. And we wanted to be, and not only that, but so much of the Rally stuff was so permissions-based and, oh, this is my BU and this is your BU and here we go over here and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. While on the Confluence side, it's like, nope, here's our roadmap. Here's our sprint. Here's what we're working on. Here's where we're going. You know, do you have this ready? How is that going? Is this ready? Another thing that actually helped a lot was, was having office hours where everyone could check in and see wh- what, where it was in regards to collaboration with my team so that everyone could actually check in with one another on a regular basis. And so having it all public on the wiki and then, you know, <laughs> public within the, in the company, obviously not public to the everyone. But having that available up there and then having the regular office hours with the meetings where everyone could actually have a kind of a deadline date to check in was extremely useful and really helped the velocity a lot. Uh, Talking about separating the teams into the developers, the marketing and things and the other things into three different groups, what was the immediate uh, consequence or the consequences of separating the group into these three different groups. And did you measure the metrics, how performance of those, those uh, was done at that time? 
And after a period of time, did you also measure to see if improvement or there was something? Or how was your evaluation? So for PayPal, it was already there in regards to the roles that were created. So you could sit there and look at those. At Hyperledger, they had only the two, which is the technical and the marketing. It's kind of funny because I don't feel like it was a separating out. It was more of a bringing in because, you know, traditionally marketing people are often left out of open source and they don't quite know what to do with it and they don't quite know how to handle it. In fact, almost every single time I work with a marketing group, I always have to go through an educational process of, you know, no, we can't have a lockdown of where nobody talks about anything because it happens when it happens. So you can't do these embargoes. You can't do, you know, all of that because it's like, oh, when open source is ready, it's ready. (laughs) There's not like, you know, a big reveal and some other different things that happen with it where, where it is very much so like talking to marketing about making sure to really engage with the community because they're the people who are going to be telling you what's up and what they think is interesting and, and how to go about doing all of that. And so that's, that was like the really important part. The community one, I noticed that there's a few open source projects out there who have something like that, but it's definitely not the norm. But I did notice that those ones that did have something along those lines were nicer. And so I was like, okay, let's talk more about that. And of course, you know, working with Denise Cooper, and she talks a lot about the spirit of mentorship. And that's like a very key element. And so I wanted to have a group that owns that. In regards to measurement, we're very nascent right now. And one of the ways that I'm trying to work around the fact that the tooling doesn't have it is to actually create these groups where they can create projects where then they can try to measure it first. And so it's very imperfect right now. So for example, in the marketing group, we just created some projects like events, use cases, testimonials, all this typical collateral that you would have and use. And so first we're working on best practices to kind of help educate the open source community itself on what those marketing materials are and what the importance of them is. And then also having it so that the community themselves can sit there and say, I did this, you know, so here's an event I'm doing. Here's what I did on social media. Here's what I did here. Here's what I did there. So that hopefully later when a committee is formed, we can do elections because, you know, everyone likes to sit there and go, oh, elections are open. I'm like, elections are never completely open. You always have to have something in the game, right? Either you live there or, you know, something along those lines. Well, in this world, it's you've done a contribution. And that's another reason why I think that the majority of these other people end up being left out of open sources because it's always been measured off of, did you do a line of code? And it's oh, kind of like, and, yeah. I, and I have to admit, I kind of have like a personal issue with this. I'll go ahead and this is confessional time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, here we go. I did a lot for Drupal. I did a lot of things in regards to did the first codeathons, helped get Drupal in the White House, did a bunch of different things. But other than Dries and Kieran and a few others, nobody knew who I was. And that, and even when I went to a couple events, people are like, who are you? Why should we care? (laughs) It's just kind of like, oh, right. You have no idea these different things that I've done because there's nowhere to put them. You know, there's no way of saying, oh, you know, she helped with this. She helped with that. She did these things because they weren't coding. And I have to admit, (laughs) I hate PHP. I'm going to make some other people unhappy now too. But I come from a C and C++ background. So PHP to me is like, uh, 
I just can't handle it. It's not structured enough. And so that's why I never coded on Drupal. (laughs) 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 So it's kind of like, (laughs) but it was kind of funny because people are like, oh, you're nothing but marketing, which to which I'm like, okay, I can kind of see where you're going with that, but that's not my perception of myself. And then, you know, and then it's not important because it wasn't code. And it's just, and it's kind of like by having those events, like the first voting module was worked on at that event for Drupal, you know, all these other features came in from it. It became a norm at Drupal events to have, you know, this kind of sprint coding mentality. And so it's just kind of funny. And and in fact, actually, the very first one that I did, they opposed it. They were like, ah, this is going to do nothing but create crap code and we don't want it. And Da, 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 da. And I'm like, no, it's not. Here's how I'm going to structure it. Here's how it's going to work. And afterwards, they're like, okay, this is awesome. We want to do more of these. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, Drupal tried, if I understand it correctly, is that to elevate those uh, kinds of contributions that are now asking everyone to use the issue tracker more for planning and organizing. So that Mm -hmm. you have a track record of here's the things that I've done and it's all in the issue tracker. Right. Well, I had an interesting conversation about that with Dries because he wrote this really great article called Makers and Takers. And in it, he was kind of sad because he's like, well, you know, obviously I'm a maker in regards to Drupal, but like he uses like Kubernetes and a bunch of other different tools. And he's like, but I'm just a taker there. I said, well, it's kind of up to those open source projects to realize that there's more than just that developer role and that users also can play a role and especially good users. You know, a good user reports a bug and does it and does a good report of a bug. You know, a good user also sits there and says, hey, I, I need these features and tells you why they need those features. And so that's why I like the use cases were important. Having something on the technical committee where you could sit there and say, these are the features I want and this is why. And engaging, you know, people like, you know, UX designers. I mean, (laughs) how many of us are like, oh my God, open source needs more UX. I know that that's like constantly a battle for me is that it's like, please, some more UX for these guys. So yeah, I think that that also brings in some of that diversity as well. Okay. That leads me to my next concern, if I may ask, like, software development is a human-centered activity. Now, bringing in the ideas you had, like creating different groups and things, how did the developers feel like, were you coming to remove some of their ego from the community? Because like you also mentioned, like, uh, in time past, they were measuring their strength, their potentials, their influence on the amount of line of code reading. Now, separating this thing, were you attacked? Were you like, uh, did you face any fierce violence from this technical kind of mentality where people think the software is that, uh, you know, how was this ego hurt? I want to look at it from the perspective of the human centeredness because marketing and the other tries to bring in. Did they accept that bringing in things of creating a more diverse group? So I wouldn't say that I've had active disagreement, but I would say that I've had sometimes passive disagreement. And so what happens with that is like, for example, with 
product management. So whenever it was in the corporate setting, there was no real disagreement because they already know and knew that. For other open source projects where you have something where they're going in and it's their baby. <laughs> and this is like, <laughs> this is where I'm going to get myself into trouble. They have a baby and all they see is their baby is beautiful. Sometimes they need someone to tell them, you know, you really need to change the diaper on that baby. And then a lot more people think that baby is as beautiful as you think it is. <laughs> is often what I see happening. And at first there's a little bit of resistance, but if things are done well and with a certain amount of generosity of spirit, it's typically taken well, where it's like, yes, I understand that you've done this, but you know, these are some other reasons why you might want to consider expanding on that. Or, having, or letting another developer bring that in. Normally, I found that people who are the most resistant are what sometimes we, we refer to as the wizards, which is it, the normal way open source is done, which is open source code is developers writing for other developers. And then you don't need all of that, right? I mean, when you're sitting there and you're writing things that are command line and you're writing it as a developer for another developer, you've got a much better in, innate understanding as to what those person's wants and needs and desires are. You know, that's why like Kubernetes works or, you know, Linux works or Apache works is because it's nerds writing for nerds. When it gets awkward is when it's nerds writing for not nerds and they don't understand everyone else's perspectives. And so often if I guess, honestly, Armstrong, I think a lot of people have already been hurt at this point that they realize that the users hate them sometimes. And so when someone comes in and tells them, here's how you could make this prettier, they are starving for it by that point. So I may be a little bit spoiled in that regard so that people are actually really wanting that kind of help or they realize that they can't get enough people to work on their project or not enough people are using it or things of that nature. So they do realize why they want marketing and why they want that kind of support. Oftentimes, my biggest problem that I'm having currently is so many people want it that it's hard to figure out how to do the resource allocation of that. And the marketing communities are, you know, it's brand new to it. So they're kind of like, how do we mitigate this? You know, there's, there's like so much need and there's so few of us. So what do we do? And it's like, well, let's try growing you know, that would be good so that we have, you know, more resources. And so we've also been talking a lot about processes as to how we decide which groups to help and when we help them and things of that nature. And so that's another reason, ta-da, metrics are involved. <laughs> Let's face it, your code is going to have errors, even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself. When bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, saving you time and cash. Honey Badger monitors and sends error alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in your code, so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also let you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go AWOL or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution. Why is this important? 
Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. As a ChaosCast listener, get 30% off for 6 months. Simply mention ChaosCast when you sign up and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. So how is that feedback loop? So if you're looking at metric community within your community, how do you show that you're being effective and then secure more resources to continue growing? So a lot of that, I'm trying to have a very light hand. As you know, that's difficult for me. (laughs) But with the different groups, it's letting them measure themselves and figuring out what they care about first. And so sometimes some of the ways that we're doing it are a bit awkward, like having projects with issues where they can sit there and say, I've done this, I've done this. The other thing is working on those best practices to try to make it a little bit expandable in regards to that growth aspect so that you can sit there and say, if someone comes up and they don't know exactly how to do that kind of marketing or that kind of evangelism or that type of social media or any of those kind of things, they can kind of read up on the best practices and maybe even recruit a friend who hasn't necessarily done it before to start doing it. Or you have people coming in from the corporate world who don't, who aren't actually used to the other end of freedom. So it's kind of interesting, you know, kind of based off of Armstrong's question there earlier, where there's the developers who run away from work to go work on open source code and don't want you encringing on their freedom. I'm starting to see a little bit similarities from other roles where they're like, okay, at work, I don't exactly get to do all these things. But if I'm going in, I'm helping an open source project. Maybe I can go and experiment a little. Maybe I can go and try this. Maybe I can go and try that. And so they're interested in doing some of that because it also gives them a little bit more freedom as well. So I think that part's kind of interesting. But right now we're playing with those numbers. We don't know what those numbers are yet. (laughs) That's but that's why I wanted to launch a brand new platform, you know, as I wanted to sit there, and that's also why I chose GitLab, is because I needed something open source. I needed something that we could just play around with, try some things, break it, try something else, you know, just get to it. Because, you know, metrics are hard. You know, it's like one of those things where everyone wants to measure lines of code, but that means nothing. Lines of code means nothing. I mean, think of all the Perl competitions we had back in the day where it's like, how much, how much functionality can you get into one line of code, you know, kind of craziness. And so I, I don't believe that those are good metrics and we have to get to better ones. And I'm hoping that letting the community create that more where they're focusing on value as being a much better metric that we can start to create. And sometimes that means the group has to work a little harder. But I think that in the long run, the wins will be significant. So how can chaos um, help in that process? We always like to ask, what, what do you see chaos role in open source ecosystem? And how would you like chaos to evolve so that you get the most out of it? hopefully, (laughs) in your own work. Well, I have to admit, I love our work group meetings. And so thank you for inviting me to those on doing the diversity and inclusion. One of the things that I'm trying to do right now with our stuff is I am focused on role diversity because I do believe that if we do role diversity, we will get the other types of diversity. And if we focus on the community and doing a good community, we will have inclusion because a good community includes that. So it's kind of like, please do these things. 
And so with doing the different metrics with chaos, I really enjoy it because we do try to focus on metrics that matter. There is a big understanding about privacy because that's like one of the big problems I've had in the past is that people are like, oh, we'll just ask them. It's just like, no, you can't just ask them. Some people could die in certain countries. (laughs) I said, you can't sit there and say, hey, I'm gay (laughs) in certain countries because you can die. I'm like, you can't just ask them. And not to mention, I know a bunch of programmers that are female who hide their identity on GitHub because they just don't want to deal with the crap. And so, you know, I get it. And so that's not really the answer in regards to that. And so for mine, it's like first doing the role diversity and then figuring out because, you know, one of the more controversial things I say often is the majority of developers are white guys. And if you're trying to create diversity out of, you know, a group, you know, you go fishing in a pool that's 99% something, <laughs> the chances are you're not going to catch that one special goldfish. So you need to actually expand that out. And if you go and look at, at corporations and a lot of these others, you'll sit there and see, oh, there's a lot of diversity here. There's, you know, in the marketing departments, that's where you'll see a lot more, where you'll see a lot more women, where you'll see a lot more races is there. And so going through and like looking at the different roles and supporting those and making sure that it's really inclusive will get you there. Or at least that's my hypothesis. I'll let you know in a year if that's true or not. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes uh, perfect sense. And I think in, in chaos, I know you've been very active in the diversity inclusion working group, which I really appreciate you joining us there. Maybe we'll have to have some more conversations there about how we can measure or can indicate role diversity. And I, I would love to hear back from, you know, how your experiments go with GitLab and with your other groups about what do they decide to measure? So yeah, it's an ongoing conversation. Thank you. Yeah. I'm hoping at first we're trying to have them just measure their work. And so that's why I think it's important to have a place where they can report their work. The other thing that we're doing is these best practices standards. And so what happens in there is that that gives a a very clean, measured place where people can contribute their thoughts on the process. And that's also a way that we can give all of these experienced people who know a lot an opportunity to share their knowledge in a way that's effective for them. So that's the other thing that we're focusing on. So that way we can sit there and say, oh, no, we're, we're grabbing some luminaries here in the open source world to talk about what they believe has been the most effective for them in the in these best practices so that they can teach others without having to talk to them <laughs> but instead you know have it imbued into a best practices type of thing i know also in in the inner source commons you're doing an amazing work to ha- document those best practices and patterns to help organizations adopt how do you work in the open how do you work in a collaborative way. And I, Claire Dillon, I think that's her name, who's also in the inner source commons. One thing I took away from her is that we as open source, as, as you say, we can bring in a lot of people who are not developers, but we can provide them a path to engage with technology in new ways. We can get them from their desk jobs and show them a whole new world of uh, here are other things you can do and experiment. So 
that really resonates uh, with what you've been saying as well. Yeah, one of my favorite things about the Inner Source group is doing the design patterns. And it's great because you can hide and have a certain amount of anonymity, especially when reporting bad patterns. And that's one of the hard things is it's easy to talk about the good stuff. It's harder to talk about the bad stuff. What do you do when you get a toxic person? What do you do when, you know, management doesn't support what you're doing? You know, what do you do when something horrible goes wrong? You know, how do you handle all those different things? And design patterns are great because you can have multiple people go in and work on them. And then it obfuscates who had that problem. <laughs> so no one can sit there and say, oh, you were, you know, airing our dirty laundry at blah, 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 which they can't do if it's just you, right? If you're, if you're the director of InnerSource at PayPal and you say, this is a problem, everybody knows <laughs> you had that problem at PayPal and no one wants that. You know, it's, it's too dangerous. It's one of those things that people just aren't interested in for obvious reasons, because we like getting a paycheck. And, and so it's just kind of like, how can you obfuscate that? And the design patterns are a beautiful way of doing that because you get a bunch of people together who all sit there and go, oh yeah, we've seen these things, da, 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 da. And then you go through and you identify them out and it doesn't reveal which company had which problem and things of that nature. But, it's, but you still have the authority of these leaders sitting there saying, these are problems. And it's, I just, I just love it. I love it that you have both the accountability aspects as well as the, you know, a certain amount of anonymity aspects that makes it uh, really work. So I think that's kind of an important piece. I will put the link to the inner source patterns in the show notes, because I think if you work through them, there's so many things that we can also learn for open source communities. I want to come in in this aspect that IEEE is a standard organization. Let's say it's an organization for standards. I'm talking about open source. What kind of standards are you, let's say IEEE is looking forward towards an open source community? Are they bringing in a kind of best practices standards and regular, regulating things? What are the benefits? Let's say what is IEEE bringing into the open source community? Sure. So IEEE is actually more than just standards. It's kind of huge, but I am in the standards organization. So you're completely correct. And how did we get started here? Well, a lot of standards were wanting to do things like reference code, data sets, specifications, things of that nature. And they weren't allowed to because standards have to stand for a long period of time. And so we can't trust that somebody posting code somewhere or doing something somewhere is always going to be there. So because of this demand for wanting to have these tools and the, this, this supporting information, they created SA Open so that we could have a place where we could guarantee that it would be up for the next 10 years, meeting those requirements of a standard. The other thing that I realized with, as to why I came over is I really wanted to raise the maturity level of open source. And standards has some really awesome processes for a lot of that. And so I'm like, if we can like meet in the middle between those, we could do some really amazing work. And so that was the other reason. So there are a bunch of standards that are coming through that are actually also part of the open source. So in fact, the first 12 projects that we've done have all been 
a combination of using the platform and becoming and working on becoming a standard. I think two have succeeded out of the 12 so far in actually becoming standards, which is pretty fast because normally standards take about, you know, one to two years. And so, but it's interesting in regards to how they are using it in that it isn't, one of the reasons we wanted to call it SA open is because it's not just source code. It's also open data. It's open hardware. It's frameworking and testing tools. It's, there's a lot of stuff that's there that isn't just code. And so it's already a group that's already friendly to the fact that we do need to expand it and we do need to consider what those are and even what those licenses are going to be, how we're going to address those correctly, things of that nature. And since IEEE is so structured, I think it's a really good place to start those conversations out at because we'll, we'll know how to handle it well and hopefully bring in the processes that are needed to, to do everything safely with trust, with you know not too much influence from certain entities that we don't want influence from things of that nature. So yes, did I, did I cover all of that Armstrong? I feel like I yeah, forgot a yeah. piece or two. No, it was well explained. Thank you. Thank you. So Silona, I really enjoyed the conversation we've had. Where can people learn more about your work and where can they find you online? So the platform is now hosted right now at opensource.ieee.org. And that's, that takes you directly to the GitLab program. And so you can go in there and start poking around. There will be some other documentation up shortly about how to find your way around and some more helpful documents will be coming up soon on the welcome site. If I really, one of the reasons I wanted to be on the chaos podcast is because (gasps) metrics, I need some of y'all to come and help me (laughs) come join the community. You know, it's all open. It's all volunteer based. Like I said, we're going to be working on some of these standards. So come in, help us out. We want to actually enable the platform to do this. All the stuff that we do goes back to GitLab itself. So with this meta platform that we're doing, we use GitLab. We're open source. All of the stuff we do is open source. We both send it back to GitLab and we also send it to anyone else who's using our, our platform. So please come in, please join us, please help us create these best practices and standards because there's no better way than to measure it. I sense there could be a good collaboration between Chaos and your work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can uh, strike up a conversation later on how actually to do this. Will do. All all good things come to an end. And as we are closing out this episode, we always like to share something from our universe, our ecosystem, something that has added value to our lives, something that we've really appreciated recently, and we call them picks. So my pick for this episode is that I had a long-time dream of building a house. And for the last year, year and a half, two years almost, We've been trying to buy a piece of land that is across from my in-laws. And finally, the owner, well, in the past, we couldn't get to agree on terms. He finally offered it for sale on the internet and actually for less money than what we were willing to pay before when we talked with them. So we finally are buying the piece of land across from my in-laws, who I love dearly. And I, I look forward to actually fulfilling a long-time dream to build a house. And so, yeah, that's something that I'm super excited about these weeks. Armstrong, 
I've come to realize that all works without play really make Jack a dull boy. So taking out some time off from our work, try to refresh our uh, thinking with all that nature has blessed us with this quietness of time, enjoy nature. That's where my next investment will really go to discover this emotional intelligence, to appreciate nature and to really have that inner peace for my work. Thanks. That's, that's awesome. Silona, what, what do you have going on in your life that has been adding value? Well, <laughs> in complete contrast, <laughs> I'm finally getting to staff up my team a lot. And so I've been onboarding six new people and getting them involved and, you know, going back and repolishing off that mission and values and goals and stuff with this new team and having their flavor entered into that has been very inspiring for me. Just all that new brain energy has been, you know, I guess since we don't get enough of the social right now, getting in there and brain sharing with some amazing, incredible people where even, even tasks that previously people don't think of as being important or why they're important. We even deep delve on that and sit there and go, okay, you're doing this thing. What's your mission in regards to that? What's our ultimate goal in regards to making this a better thing? And they're like, oh, it could be these things. And it's just like, just bringing that kind of energy back into my world has been a a huge gift, I think, because I, as you know, I am a very social person and I've been very much so in lockdown because of immune issues. And so it's kind of been a real joy to deep dive into a bunch of people's brains this last week. That's awesome. So it is time to say thank you. Thank you, Armstrong, for being on as a panelist. It's my pleasure, Gil. Thank you so much. And thank you, Salona. And thank thank you, you. Salona. It was a great (laughs) conversation. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us at podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your chaos community.